Hello, I'm Dwayne McCrary. I'm the team leader for the Adult Explore the Bible team. And today I have as my guest, Mike Livingston. He's one of the content editors on the Explore the Bible team. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, good to be here. Uh, this week, this session two, we're looking at Numbers 14, verses 15 through 19. And, and the theme of this study is the consequences of the rebellion or of rebellion against God. Uh, a quick outline of these verses. Uh, you see, first of all, a challenge is issued. Uh, Moses and Aaron, they respond to the people's request to return to Egypt by humbling themselves before the Lord and the people. Caleb and Joshua respond by tearing their clothes and addressing the people, challenging them to express faith and confidence in God. The key point here is that faithful followers of God challenge others to express faith in God as well. In verses 10 and 12, through 12, we see accountability coming. The people threaten to stone the leaders, rejecting their plea for expressing faith in God. However, God intervenes to protect his faithful followers by making his glory known. See, God holds, a pe holds all people accountable for their rejection to him. Following that, in verses 13 through 19, Moses appeals to God based on his character and faithfulness. That's the character of God and, his, and God's faithfulness. Moses asked God to demonstrate grace to the Israelites, offering them forgiveness instead of the judgment they deserve. You know, there's a lot of things that's happened in the background here, a lot of missteps by the people of Israel that get us to this point in chapter 14. And I really didn't deal with those things when I just gave a summary of the main verses we're looking at, Mike. Mike, can you... Share with us some of the missteps that have taken place uh, that get us to this point. Sure. The, the setting of our passage is that the spies have brought back their report about Canaan. So in chapter 13, they are, they're reporting to the people that the, the land is, is, yes, it is flowing with milk and honey. However, the people living in the land are strong. The cities are large and fortified. So the, the majority report of the spies was the Canaanites are bigger than us. They're stronger than us. And the Israelites began to say, well, it's, it's better for us to go back to Egypt, but, so let's appoint a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. So in essence, they would rather go back to living in bondage and slavery in Egypt than uh, enter the promised land and face the Canaanites who were bigger and stronger than them. Uh, one question that we have uh, that I see when I look at this particular this study is you have Moses and Aaron, they're challenging the people uh, is there a way to challenge people without sounding superior or judgmental? And that's a good question, for, especially for those of us who, who teach, uh, who lead classes. And so for the purposes of, of this study, we want to look at the passage, you know, Numbers 14. Is there anything in that passage that would guide us uh, in, in answering that question? And there is. The answer is yes. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community, it says in verse 5 of Numbers 14. There, that, that was their response to the people's lack of faith. They fell down before the people. To fall on your face before someone was a sign of humility and brokenness. So Moses and Aaron weren't prideful. They weren't judgmental. judgmental. They were broken and brokenhearted, and they showed their humility before the people. And in the same way, Joshua and Caleb responded by tearing their clothes, a visible expression of grief and brokenheartedness. They genuinely grieved 
for the people's rebellion. And not only do you see the the humility and the brokenness and the grief of, of the leaders, but Joshua and Caleb began to speak to the people and challenged them with truth. They challenged the people with the truth of God's promise, of God's character, of God's ability to bring them into the land and to fight their battles. They said, the Lord will bring us into this land. The Lord is with us. So the answer to the, that question, how do we challenge people without sounding judgmental or, or superior? The answer here in this passage is that leaders challenge people with humility, with grace, and with truth. So it's really a balance between those things of, of, of being uh, a humble leader, but not deviating from what is true Correct. in that context. Correct. Um, we really see them them praying for the people as well here. What are some some tips we might share with our group about intercessory prayer? That's one of the issues that's brought up in our personal study guide, in the daily discipleship guide. It asks the, we're asked the question: um, If God is already compassionate, why do we need to intercede for sinners? How do the arguments Moses made in this prayer serve as a model for our intercessory prayers? Yeah, and, and so you have recorded in Numbers 14 the, the prayer of Moses on behalf of the people after they refused to enter the promised land. And if there's anything that we can learn from the example of Moses, it's that intercessory prayer makes a difference. And, and that's the first thing that I would share with, with my group is that Moses' prayer for the people made a difference. Numbers 14.20 says, The Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you requested. And when we understand that prayer makes a difference, that God answers prayer, that encourages us to be persistent and disciplined in prayer. And then if there's any one thing I would point out from from Moses' prayer as a model for us in praying is is that we, we need to focus our prayers on the person of God and the character of God. And that's what Moses did. What drove Moses to prayer on behalf of the people was his desire for God's name to be glorified and God's power to be magnified before the eyes of Israel's enemies. And so his prayer essentially was, if God, you know, God, if you destroy your people, the nations are going to hear about that and they're going to think that you're not able to bring them out of, uh, or that you were able to bring them out of Egypt but not able to deliver them into the land as you promised. So in, in his prayer for the people, Moses appealed to God's character and to God's promise to be slow in anger and abounding in faithful love and forgiving iniquity and, and rebellion. So um, he focused on his prayer for the people on who God is and the character of God and the promises of God. So it's the significance of our prayers is not so much in the words we're praying, but in the person we are addressing. It's, you think about how many times we forget when we're praying, we think more about the need as opposed to how God it, God's character is demonstrated in that situation. Yes. Um, and which, you know, some people view God, God's will, the Lord's will, as some sort of harsh punishment. I'll do God's will, but if I do, He's going to send me to wherever, this place or that place, as opposed to thinking of God's will uh, in the sense of this is what brings honor to God. Um, there's a statement in, in the the personal study guide that says some people treat the Lord's will as some sort of harsh punishment. How can how, how might we unpack that, Mike? 
Yeah, the context of that is, is it's in the comments on Numbers 14, 7 through 9. It's that the verse is about Israel responding in fear instead of faith. And they're they, they afraid of the thought of going into the promised land. Now, if you think about that, the promised land was the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. It was the good and gracious gift of God to his people. But to a people who chose fear over faith, God's will felt like punishment rather than fulfillment. And that's what fear does. Fear skews our perspective of what God is doing, even on our behalf. God was showing his favor on the people. He was working for their good, but their fear clouded their vision and their perspective. See, God, God always wants the best for us, and he works for what's best for us, but his best doesn't always align with what we think is best for us, and it's not always what we think of as the easiest path to follow. Uh, there's a quote from Oswald Chambers that says, God's will is hard only when it comes up against our stubbornness. And then it's as cruel as a plowshare and as devastating as an earthquake. We mentioned God's will here. In the, in the book, The Four Wills of God, um, which is a book by Broadman and Holman, uh, that book, the, the author of that book, deals with the issue of, of four wills that are noted in the New Testament. God wills this. Um, how might that help us uh, express or explain the issue of God's will in this particular uh, lesson? Yeah, um, you know, Adrian Rogers once said that much of God's will for your life is already found in the Bible. And basically that's what this book by Emerson Egrich is, is saying, that there, there are some specific verses in the New Testament where that clearly, explicitly say, this is the will of God. This is God's will. So God is not hiding his will from us. It's right there in the, in the scripture. It says, this is the will of God. And so the book points out those four verses that say, this is God's will. And uh, uh, what it does, it, it basically it gives us a, a, uh, an acronym to, to remember these four things. The acronym is B-A-G-S, BAGS. And uh, the B uh, stands for believe, believe or, or trust God. John 6, 40, this is the will of my Father. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. When we, when we trust God with our lives, when we lean not on our own, own understanding, but we trust Him, even when we don't know what the future looks like or we don't understand what God is doing, but when we choose to believe, we are in His will. When we choose to believe God, we're in His will. When we choose to believe Christ, we're in God's will. The A, uh, the second universal will of God, is to abstain from sexual sin. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is God's will. Scripture says, this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. So God's will for us is that we be morally pure. Like Jesus said, it, um, said the same thing in, in a positive way. He said, the pure in heart will see God. So if you want to see God working in your life, if we want to see God working, we need to be honest with our sins and, and, and face our sins. We need to abstain from any kind of immorality and impurity. That's the second one. The third, G, is give thanks. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks and everything for this is God's will for you. And then the last, the fourth S is submit. Submit, 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor uh, or to governors or those sent by him to punish those who do, uh, do what is evil. Uh, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. In other words, live in such a way we're to live in such a way that we can't be accused of any wrongdoing and live in such a way as to minimize the slanderous attacks of unbelievers so that they have no legitimate grounds to slander us, but rather by seeing our conduct would glorify God and believe the gospel. So, so the gist of, of, of the book is if you want to find the specific, unique will of God for your life, like, for example, should I go through door A or B? Should I choose this or should I choose that? Then start by doing the universe, these universal wills of God that God has clearly made uh, plain to us in His Word. And as we follow God's will in the ways that He has already made plain for us, we put ourselves in a position for God to direct our steps in those specific and unique ways for our lives. In this particular passage, you think about the, the, the B-A-G-S, the believe, abstain, give thanks, and submit. We obviously see that they were not trusting, they were not believing. We, we, we don't know about abstain, about the purity part of things here. They were not thankful, uh, nor were they willing to submit. Uh, in fact, they, we know they weren't thankful. They wanted to go back to Egypt. So uh, in, in this passage, you see at least three of those four things not mm -hmm. existing. Right. Um, so which raises the question for us, had they been believing, uh, had there been purity, had they been given thanks, and had there been submission, what could have happened at that point? We don't know because that's not what was going on. But that does help us understand a little more fully what it means to follow the will of God or at least understand what it is. Right. Mike, do you have anything else you'd like to share about this particular lesson? You know, it's just a lesson. It's really about trusting God. It's about choosing faith over fear. And what I've learned in my own life is you know, choosing faith over fear is not a one-time choice. It's a, it's a choice you make and remake every day and often several times throughout the day. We choose to live by faith and not fear. Thank you for that reminder. We hope that you in, enjoy the opportunity to teach this lesson this Sunday. And we look forward to hearing you and or visiting with you again next week.